Our scripture reading from this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. In verse 15, it starts out saying, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he, was brought, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Um, if you know me, then you know that I am an art lover. Uh, I'm not really an artist, just a nerd. Uh, I just like to geek out on art. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, my teacher, Mrs. Nichols, uh, she gave an artist to every person in the class, and we had to do a research project thing on an artist. And um, at this risk of sounding like the biggest nerd that you know, um, something came alive in me in this research project in the fifth grade that has grown and grown and grown and grown in the um, now many years since uh, fifth grade. Um, And just like other things I love, authors and poets and bands and cities or whatever, things I'm interested in, I have loads of favorite artists. Um, My friend Eli gives me a hard time all of the time when I preach because I say my favorite whatever every single time, but I have lots of favorite things. Um, But uh, when it comes to artists, I have two very favorites in a sea of favorites. And one of those very favorites is a guy named Jacob Lawrence. Uh, Jacob Lawrence is a Harlem Renaissance painter who was born in Atlantic City, but then moved to New York City during the Harlem Renaissance and painted. I I think he's incredible. And um, I discovered Jacob Lawrence through uh, this painting that you're about to see that I am just absolutely crazy about. Um, It's called Migration Panel 58. And I think it's perfect. I think it's a perfect painting. I, I love its detailed simplicity. I, um, I love the empowered stance of the girls in it, um, both as women and as African-Americans. I, I love their height differences. I love the colors and the textures that, that come through. Um, I, I did more research on this painting after I fell in love with it, and I discovered um, that it, it, it was meant to be a commentary on education in the North versus the South for black kids. 
Um, and then it became even more powerful than writing these numbers on this textured chalkboard. I, I love it. I've loved this painting for forever. And um, so last February, uh, right before the world shut down, like as in literally right before the world shut down, um, I think that the first case of COVID uh, in New York City happened either on my flight home or the day after we got home or something. But I went to New York City right before the world shut down with um, some family and friends, a little group of us. And um, on Friday night while we were there, we decided to go to the to MoMA, the Modern Museum of Art, um, because it's free on Friday nights. So there's a pro tip if you're ever in New York City. Um, but if you've ever been to a museum with free hours, then you know uh, that every human in all of Manhattan was at the MoMA at the exact same time. Like later we're like, we got COVID there. Uh, we didn't, but it was just like so many people in this one space at one time. It was bananas and it all tourists. Like nobody knows what they're doing. It's ju it just was nuts. And so uh, we decided as a group that there's some really important paintings in the MoMA. And so we're just gonna highlight, I'm like, I'll take you to the most important ones like the ones you gotta see before you die. Like uh, Starry Starry Nights by Vincent Van Gogh is there and uh, the Campbell Soup Cans by Andy Warhol and Marilyn Monroe by Andy Warhol. And so I'm like, I'll just take you to, to the ones that you'll regret not seeing and then we can, um, that sounds awful for the other artists, but like, well, we can skip the others because there's so many people. So uh, my friend Mary Lou and I are trying to find Marilyn Monroe. And so we scoot through a gallery to try to get to another gallery. And we're scooting through this gallery when Mary Lou stops to look at something. Um, and when I look back to find her, something uh, catches my eye and it's Migration Panel 58 by Jacob Lawrence. I didn't know it was there. I had no idea. This painting that I've loved for decades, I had no idea was on display in the MoMA the day that I happened to be there. And so I like flip out again. I'm becoming the biggest nerd, you know, but it was so exciting to me. I don't know. It's like seeing a famous person or something, but this thing that I've loved uh, for so long. So I flip out about it. And then um, when I calm down, I, I have uh, all of these realizations in um, this moment staring at this painting. Like the first is it, it's so tiny. Like it is so much smaller than I ever imagined it would be. I've heard that's true about the Mona Lisa, that in our minds it's this big giant uh, work of art, but in actuality it's small. That's how this was. It was so tiny. And then forever I'd read that it was a, it was um, done on wood, like it was painted on wood. But what I realized in that moment, part of the reason it's called panel is because it was painted on wood paneling. Like it's just this tiny little piece of wood paneling that Jacob Lawrence has uh, painted over. And then the third thing I realized is that it isn't alone. Uh, finally, the title Panel 58 makes sense to me. As I uh, take a step back from the wall and I scan the wall, I realize that this painting that I love so, so much is sitting in a sea of paintings. And they're all fascinating. Every one of them. Some of them I'd seen in books or, or browsing online um, through Jacob Lawrence's work. Some of them I'd never seen at all. Uh, there were 30 of them sitting on a wall and all together they're telling this unbelievable story that I didn't know existed. Um, it, it, when it was one, one painting and one story, it was absolutely beautiful. It was, um, when it was just Migration Panel 58, it was a story of women and empowerment and social commentary on segregation and education. It was incredible. But stepping a few steps back and looking at a wide angle view of 30 paintings, uh, I saw an even bigger story being told. 
I, I saw a story about the African-American experience in a way uh, that I don't know, but I could picture through art, a story about migration from South to North, about freedom, about potential, about hope and vision and culture and identity. Uh, panel 58 told a really good story, but 30 panels told an even bigger and even better story. Uh, what I found out after I got home and was doing a little more research on this is that there are actually 60 panels. It kind of made it more sense. All I saw were even-numbered panels, so I just thought it was sort of a trick he did, but it, it turned out that there were 60 original panels, and the MoMA got all of the even panels, and uh, a collection called the Phillips Collection in D.C. got all of the odd-numbered panels. And so really, it's a 60-painting story. And since then, I've looked at all 60 paintings all together. They have this online experience where you can go through every single one. And, and so again, as beautiful as one painting was, the full story could only be found in seeing all 60 of them in one place and in one time. Uh, I want to spend the next two weeks, uh, you and I, um, looking at the Bible in a similar way to how I experienced these paintings by Jacob Lawrence. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to take uh, a couple of steps back and take a super wide view of the scriptures and, uh, and look at what can happen in us and through us when we put the whole story of the scriptures all together. I think oftentimes when we're um, reading the Bible or engaging with the Bible, uh, it, we, we normally do it with like one verse or maybe a chunk of verses or, or possibly a chapter of verses. Or maybe we take a couple steps back and read a book of the Bible or a section or uh, in the New Testament or the Old Testament. We uh, maybe just like wider chunks of, of reading. But today my hope is to do something that honestly we're always trying to do here at the Vineyard. And that is learn to take enough steps back to allow the whole picture as much as we have of the picture to come into view. Uh, the Old Testament to the New, all the way from Genesis to Revelations. Uh, what happens when we take steps back and the entire Bible comes into view, uh, what we're able to see is that there is, uh, that while different chapters and different books tell different stories all throughout the scriptures, when we take a few steps back, we're able to see that really the Bible tells one big story altogether. There's a, a narrative arc to the entire thing, a big, wide story to tell. Uh, like panel 58, uh, single verses or chunks absolutely tell a story. And so do chapters and books of the Bible. But uh, what I want to talk to you about today is, is that wide story that we find when we engage the whole thing, all 60 panels, or in our case, all 66 uh, books of the Bible. It's a story that theologians call a four-chapter gospel or uh, a meta-narrative view of scriptures, uh, engaging the scriptures with the big story that they're all telling. Uh, in a very scaled out and simple look, the Bible takes place in four major parts, four major chapters, uh, creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Every story is telling stories of these things, creation and fall and redemption and renewal. The story of the scriptures they tell of creation, that, that God made everything and that he called it good. And then um, at, at, he made us and then he asked us to join him in creation, to make it better, to tend to it, to uh, cultivate it in, into a flourishing thing. Um, uh, fall, sin enters the world through Adam and Eve, shattering the shalom or uh, the perfect peace and communion and connection of creation. Uh, redemption, God makes a way for us where there was no way, offering salvation to all through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then renewal, uh, the active and imminent work of the kingdom of God to renew 
all the things. Uh, like the panels that Jacob Lawrence created, the scriptures are, are powerful in parts, but when we put them all together, all four pieces uh, together, the scriptures tell uh, a, a four-part story. And like our text today that Chad just read to us, um, Jesus is part of all of it, every single piece of it. And so whether this is old news to you or brand new to you, I just want to spend our next few minutes uh, looking a little deeper at each of these parts on, on their own, and then we'll kind of talk about the impact of seeing them all together. So part one, creation. Uh, in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, uh, the first book, it tells us that in the beginning was God and that his spirit hovered over all of the emptiness. And it tells us that all things were made by God, including us. Uh, in our text today, Paul uh, talks from Colossians 1, and he tells us that uh, not only is all of that true, but also that Christ was part of it and uh, reigning over all things that were created, including us. Uh, Genesis, it goes on to say that God created us in his own image. Uh, male and female, we were created in the image of God, that he has blessed us and that he has commissioned us. Uh, in Genesis, it says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. He put under our care every plant, every tree, the wild animals, the birds, everything that is alive, uh, God puts under our care. It's what theologians call uh, the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. It's this commissioning from God uh, to man that makes it clear that the capacity to create is a God-breathed part of being human. The scriptures, they tell us over and over again that God um, it put in all of us the commissioning and, com and the capacity to create. It is put in us by God and for God, uh, by God, for God, and for the flourishing of the world. Uh, this is really important. Uh, the narrative, the, the story arc of the scriptures begins with an intentional and an intricate and a powerful creation of God and that creator God commissioning and empowering us uh, humanity to be part of it, to cultivate and tend to and care uh, for the flourishing of all living things. It's a good story. Uh, but we move on to part two. Uh, the next chapter uh, in the big picture narrative is, is the fall. Uh, in the story, uh, in Genesis, it kind of happens pretty quick after the first story comes on the scene. Um, in the story, a snake offers Eve some fruit and sin enters the world throwing everything off of its rocker. Uh, Adam and Eve, they are tempted in the garden and they fall. And the result of that is that uh, the utopian world of peace and shalom, perfect connection and peace with God, uh, uh, the perfect world that he created and handed to humans to develop and tend gets, uh, get, gets thrown completely off track. And we, as humans, get thrown completely off track. Uh, what happens in the fall is the uh, ability to rightly relate to God and rightly relate to each other and rightly relate to creation is damaged and everything feels its effects. Darkness and destruction enters the world at every single level, a personal level, a communal level, and a cosmic level. Every single level, death uh, for the first time becomes a thing. Sadness becomes a thing. Destruction and fear and anxiety and pain and suffering and pollution. They, these things all become things that steal uh, freedom and shalom uh, uh, in, in the whole world. 
the impact of the fall for humanity, uh, not just creation, but for humanity, is that our ability to uh, relate rightly, like I said, to God, to each other, uh, to the world is damaged, and everything feels the rippling effect of that. Everything. On a cosmic level, the fall of man darkens the goodness of the world. And on a personal level, the darkness separates us from the Father, the one who made us for himself. And so thank God there's a part three uh, to come along. Chapter three is the greatest news after chapter two, the story. Uh, it's the story of redemption. It's the story of the God who could not leave us in the dark, who at just the right time comes after us. The beauty and the mystery of the redemption of the cross of Jesus is that it puts into motion making all things right that have lost their way. All things right that have lost their way. Our, our sin and destruction, we said in chapter 2, that it's what separates us from God. But through the cross, redemption is found at every level that the fall destroyed. Every level. This is huge. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus, because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, every level of what is broken is redeemed. Uh, redemption becomes per possible personally and communally and cosmically all through the cross and the resurrection. Uh, verses 19 and 20 that Chad read, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Uh, which leads us perfectly into chapter 4. Uh, the Bible's overarching story uh, ends with the chapter of renewal. A panel of renewal of the hope of restoration, the God who puts all things back together. Uh, the renewal and the, res and the restoration of the goodness and the shalom of the world. The story of the scriptures is full of the language of, of renewal, of, of heaven coming to earth, of creation being rescued and re restored, language of wastelands that uh, rejoice, of sorrow and mourning disappearing, or uh, as the Jesus story book Bible says, of all of the sad things become, becoming untrue. A perfect creation fell into destruction. And since that moment, since chapter two, since that moment, the God who made us has been working to rescue and to reconcile and to redeem and also to restore and to renew uh, what he made. And one day, uh, that work of the kingdom will be complete. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. This is the story of the scriptures. And it's also uh, our story as well. In us lies creation and fall and redemption and renewal. And so this is how uh, the church taught the Bible for 1,800 years. Um, but in recent church history, as in like the last 200 years or so, there's been um, this sort of shift that has resulted in a shortened version of the big story, a shortened version of the story being told, a shortened version of the gospel. What, what's happened over time, uh, beginning with the fundamentalists and then moving and extending into the evangelical, is that there has been so much focus and emphasis on the fall and redemption pieces of the story that the creation and the renewal parts have kind of faded into the background. And so the widespread story being told has become a story about fall and a story about redemption. Two uh, together, two good and true uh, stories, but just not, a, not the whole story. Uh, in the wider church, I think we have gotten stuck right in the middle of the story. 
It's, taking, it's sort of like taking a two-panel view of a much bigger work of art. Good and beautiful, but not the whole story. And the truth is, it's showing. It shows. Uh, from cancel culture to politics to racial unrest, us getting stuck in the middle of the story on a global and national level, all the way down to a personal level, it, it, it shows. And though I think that we're missing something absolutely crucial when we're only telling two pieces of a four-part story, um, this smaller view of the scriptures does kind of make sense to me. Uh, because of the middle two chapters they are the the, uh, of the story, they're powerful and transformational and absolutely essential. Uh, we have to deal with the darkness and separation from the one who made us. The world is too messed up not to spend time on that. Uh, and the redemption is beautiful and the true story of, of the one who made a way for us where there was no way. And it's through the acknowledgement of brokenness and of rescue that uh, we find Jesus, that we find home. Uh, from a desire and urgency uh, for people to know Jesus, we have told the good story of darkness and the good story of rescue, sin and salvation, good things, true things, central things, just not the whole story. And so uh, a two-chapter gospel of sin and salvation has meant that in so much of the evangelical world, only uh, half of the story is being told, and then half of the story is fading out of focus. It's not that we're denying it. It's that it's just faded into the background, sometimes really, really far in the background. And that's left so many of us with just half the story, and that matters. It matters because our story didn't start with sin. I don't know what story you grew up hearing, but, but please hear me today. Uh, the beginning of the story is not that you are a busted up person, a broken person. That's undeniably true. No offense, I'm saying that about myself too. That's undeniably uh, true, but it isn't the beginning of the story. And that's crucial. The beginning is crucial. Our story begins with us being made in the image of God. It begins with us as the crown jewel of creation. Our story begins uh, with the perfect peace and uh, shalom, perfect peace and community with God and purpose and identity and the thriving and the flourishing of the world. Our story is one of creation from the beginning of dignity and creativity and empowering as image bearers of the King. The beginning matters because it informs uh, how we see ourselves, how we live, how we work, how we make things, how we show up in the world. And this beginning of the story fading into the background has some real implications on how we're currently showing up in the world as Christians. Where we begin, it matters. And in the same breath, where we end matters too. Our story doesn't end with us being redeemed by Jesus. Uh, redemption is, hear me, redemption is good, 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 good news. But it isn't the end of the story. Our story ends with us as the redeemed, as the rescued children of a very good God, joining him in his work of renewal, joining him as he puts things back together, uh, joining him as he opens the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and the deaf and makes sadness and mourning becomes things that are no longer true. Uh, we need all four parts of the story because the end of the story whispers back to the beginning of the story. Our initial commission, the end whispers to the beginning uh, that, that we are still made to tend to and to care for and to cultivate the earth. 
Uh, when we only have the middle part of the story, then we miss that the story of the scripture starts on earth and ends on earth. That's really important to hear. It starts on earth, but it also ends on earth. We do not exist to escape the world. Rather, we exist to join God in the renewal of it. How the story ends matters, and, and letting it fade into the background has caused us to have a pretty unbiblical view of how God views the earth and our role in it. In fact, there are a lot of things impacted by uh, focusing so heavily on only half of the story. It's uh, caused us to reduce and narrow the vision of the church. Uh, we've turned the church into uh, people who offer the story of conversion when God uh, made us or has asked us to tell the story of transformation. That's a way bigger story. Uh, we've offered the world an explanation for sin and salvation, and I, I, I think we've done a good job at that, but we haven't done a very good job at offering explanations for things like beauty, an explanation for why uh, three girls painted on a piece of wood could take your breath away. Uh, and so do mountains and rivers and oceans and fish scales and tall buildings and whatever you think is beautiful. Uh, an explanation for the way a song or a story or a poem or a meal uh, can seep into our guts like glue, putting things back together. We've not done a very good job offering explanations for beauty or, or for art or for music or for joy or life or ethics and creativity and human flourishing here on earth now and, and, and earth to come. And this is so unfortunate because the scriptures are full of this. They're full of this stuff. And a kingdom view means seeing uh, all of the panels. It means seeing um, all of the story, the parts, the chapters, the books, the wide, wide view. It's telling the whole story, creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Uh, our vision statement for uh, our church is joining God in the renewal of all things. And this is why. This is why, because as a church, we're committed to telling the full story, uh, where uh, C.S. Lewis says, every chapter gets better than the one before. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a minute here. Uh, we call it Selah, just like a holy breath and a holy pause. Uh, and we're going to, uh, next week, we're going to talk about um, the personal and communal impact of learning how to tell the whole story. I can't wait. So uh, we'll see you next week for that. Um, but before we move on to there, we want to stay here for just a minute. Um, I, I don't want to move on too quickly from here. I, I, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give us a minute. I'm just going to be really quiet, and I'm going to give us a minute to allow room for the Holy Spirit to um, bring to mind any of the things we've just talked about over the last little bit um, and see how they impact and resonate with you. And then I'll pray, and we'll come to the table together. So we'll be quiet just for a moment. So God, we thank you that uh, this story is big and the story is wide and that the story has room for all of us. And I just pray that you um, would give us the courage to look inside ourselves at the places where we are only believing part of the story or only living part of the story. And I ask your spirit to come and do what you do to create in us, to restore in us, to redeem in us, to renew in us 
so that we could be the kind of people who live out your big story on a personal level and a communal level and a cosmic level. We thank you that in something so big and something so wide that there truly is room for us, that uh, being a created being means that you see us, that you know us, that your story about us is bigger than our loneliness and bigger than our fear and bigger than our sadness and our anxiety and all of the things that we carry with us. And so we thank you for the invitation to be part of something big while being cared for as something small. In your name we pray. Amen.